this morning we continue the sermon series, The Book of the Twelve. So you can go ahead and turn to the book of Zephaniah, where you'll find that. You'll go to the beginning of the New Testament. Go to Matthew. You'll take a left. You'll turn back through Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and there you'll be on the last page of Zephaniah. And that's actually where we will be, chapter 3, there at the very end. I was telling a friend of mine this week, a colleague in Tennessee, uh, he had seen where I was preaching. He said, what are you preaching about? And I said, Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets. We were doing a sermon series on minor prophets. He said, I don't care what you're preaching on. He said, but just don't ever tell Zephaniah to his face he's a minor prophet. So he's a minor prophet, but he's got a major message. And... I'm going to share something that really, well, you know, it's really not a secret. Life is full of disappointments. Is it not? Sometimes things just happen, and sometimes we can do things that bring disappointment to ourselves and to those around us. And sometimes we're tempted to to ask questions like, where was God when X or Y took place? Does God hear me? Does God see or even care what's going on in this world today? And as we do life in our society, I'm reminded that we're no different than Israel. Israel, like us, having a heritage of faith modeled for them, and at times having lived out this faith in God better than at other times, they, like us, we're great at making bad choices. So God has had prophets along the way to help encourage and to point his wayward children back to him. Much like what we do in the pulpit. And Zephaniah comes and he preached a message to Israel. And, and Israel is known as, another way of naming Israel is the daughter of Zion. And you'll see that again this morning. The daughter of Zion. And this message that Zephaniah preached was about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And not much is known about Zephaniah. But interestingly enough, his name means he whom Jehovah God has hidden or protected. But his personality is revealed in his message. There's three short chapters in the prophecy of Zephaniah, and his message is clear, and it's consistent with the others we've studied thus far in the book of the Twelve. The day of the Lord and his judgment and wrath are coming. But there will be mercy for all who repent and remain faithful to him. Zephaniah wrote this to the Israelites. But as this message is not tied to one specific event or a string of events, this entire passage can apply to the whole of the the Old Testament, daughter of Zion, and it applies to the New Testament, bride of Christ. That's us. The last seven verses of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, they paint a glorious picture of the coming kingdom of the Lord. And the words will be on the screen. Let me read them to you, starting with verse 14. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. 
The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And then God says, first person, I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Therefore, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast. And I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. Even at the time when I gather you together, indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is a message of hope and reconciliation. In these last seven verses, we're going to see and we're going to find out three ways in which we are to wait on the work of the Lord. We're to rejoice completely in worship because of what the Lord has already done in our midst. We are to remain steadfast in faith because of what the Lord can do right now in our lives. And we are to remember our eternal hope because of what the Lord will do in His time. So we're talking about worship, faith, and hope. Regarding worship, we're to rejoice completely in worship because of what the Lord has already done in our midst. We're expected to worship the Lord with all that we are. Look at there in verse 14. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion has been commanded to shout, rejoice, and exult. And shouting, it's consistent with the Israelites' worship of the Lord. The shout, or in Hebrew, it's called the ruah. This means to split the ears with sound, and it's to sound a blast. This is used 33 times in the Old Testament, and this conveys the action of making a loud noise. That's what shouting is. And many times the shout, the shout is a cry of joy. It's in response to the Lord's delivery on behalf of His people. So, there are worshiping people as are we. They are shouting to the Lord as we are and we will this morning. So I want you to repeat after me on the count of three. I'm going to say, Ruah! One, two, three. Ruah! That was a little weak. Ruah! That's exciting. Very good. That's very exuberant. All right, shouting. We turned through the book of Zechariah on the way to Zephaniah, okay? Zechariah in chapter 9 says it like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. There it is again. Shouted triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just, vindicated, victorious. And he's endowed with salvation. He's humble. He's mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Who does that sound like? Jesus. That's referencing Jesus, and, and that's in the book of Zechariah. I mean, Jesus, we find out through the entire of the Old Testament, the entirety of it. We find Jesus. You'll find out more about that this morning. Rejoicing and exulting are two different things. We know what rejoicing is. We've established the shouting, but what does exult mean? I went to Merriam-Webster.com, and exulting means to leap for joy, 
That's what that means. I would have you all do that, but some of you all are accident prone like me. So no leaping for joy, but you get what that means. And this also means to be extremely joyful. This is all body worship. This is full body worship, the entirety of, of how we are made from our voice to our jumping for joy, we are to give praise to God. It also uses the word heart. The word heart is written. That's all-encompassing regarding worship. It, 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 the heart's considered to be the seat of one's inner emotions and nature. We sang the song earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And that's what rejoicing looks like. It, it's every person. Every mouth, every inch, from head to toe, total praise. We're expected to worship God with all that we are. Why, why do we do that? Because of what the Lord has already done in our midst. What has he done? Let's keep reading. We're expected to worship the Lord because he has defeated the enemy. Verse 15, the Lord's taken away his judgments. He's cleared away your enemies. The Lord is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. The Lord, he, he, he's cleared away judgment, the fear of disaster. And judgments from the Lord, they are righteous and they're deserved. And the reason why is because the Lord is righteous. We deserve judgment because we are unholy. We are sinful. God is righteous and we deserve judgment. And judgments from the Lord, they're considerable. If you think about Sodom and Gomorrah and Egypt... But we just read that the Lord has taken his judgments away. That's huge. That's paramount. And the word for, in the Hebrew for, for taken away, that means to turn off. So the Lord has the power, the authority of making something move, go away, turn off. And he can do that because he's the king of Israel. He demonstrates power, authority, and he's ever-present as we just read He's ever-present with his people throughout the Bible. He is in their midst, just like he is in our midst. That's Old Testament, the New Testament. If you flipped over to the Gospel of John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh, this is verse 14 in chapter 1, if you want to write it down, and the Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. So this not only applies to the daughter of Zion, but this applies to the bride of Christ. So how is the Lord defeating the enemy now? The Lord is the master. He's the boss. And he has the power and the authority of making something move or go away or be turned off. He's cleared away the judgment. And we... We could all quote John 3.16 this morning, but the very next verse, John 3.17, says this. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The Lord has already cleared away the enemy. The cross of Jesus has overthrown the enemy, the Holy Spirit, alive in us. If we've trusted in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have God's Holy Spirit in us, in our midst now. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit can give us strength to deal with whatever enemies would drop in our path. And, and because of this, we should have no fear. That's good news. We should have no fear. We should not be afraid because we have the righteousness of Christ in us, covering us. There's something I want to point out about fear, though, and disaster. 
We've seen this in recent weeks. But I'm going to remind you scripturally. The Bible does not say that we will never have any type of disaster. But God's word tells us to not be afraid. The very end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus told that to his disciples. Jesus spoke the word, it was recorded, and we know it now. Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. The power and the authority of the cross of the king removes the oppression and the fear of the enemy. I'm going to read that again. The power and authority of the cross of the king removes the oppression and fear of the enemy. We've talked about worship. Let's look at faith. We're to remain steadfast, to remain steadfast in faith because of what the Lord can do right now in our lives. We're not to allow worry to become weakness. We're not to allow worry to become weakness. There in verse 16. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. Israel will be commanded to not be afraid and to not become weak. The Hebrew text, it doesn't merely encourage Israel. Okay? They're, they're given directives by the Lord. The word for say in Hebrew, that doesn't, really, that doesn't just mean to, to tell or to articulate or to verbalize. That means to command or to charge. The word for hands, if you look there on the screen or there in your Bible, there in verse 16, the word for hand also means strength or power. If you go on down, the word, the Hebrew for fall limp, that means to slacken, to be, to be enfeebled or discouraged or disheartened. And so Israel's commanded, they are charged to not let fear dictate their level of strength. The same principle applies to the church now, to the individual and corporately. We are commanded to not let fear dictate who we are and who we will be in this day, regardless of what social media and the news tell us. We are commanded to not let fear dictate, and we are to remain steadfast in our faith as we wait on the Lord to work in that day. And that day, Isaiah chapter 25 verse 9 says this regarding that day as we wait on it. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we've waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. We have been and we will be charged and commanded to be encouraged. Do not worry. As we see and we, and we believe in what the Lord has already done... We can trust and wait on the Lord. Do, do we allow our strength and our power to become enfeebled? Our joy should trump our anxiety. We are commanded to not allow our anxieties to become actualized. I just realized there's, that's a triple A. There's three A's there. We are commanded to not allow our anxieties to become actualized. Think about that. And, and we see that in Isaiah chapter 40, this idea of, that we're going to run and we're not going to grow weary. We'll walk, we'll, we'll not faint. God, the God who saves will give us strength. And, and fear has been a cancer throughout the whole of history. And, and the whole of the Bible addresses this. 
we have responsibility to encourage others to rely on God's word for comfort from fear. A sister shared this this weekend. We, we, we read in Isaiah 35 to encourage the exalt, exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Jesus is our source of peace. I love the gospel of John. And in chapter 16, Jesus says, in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. Regarding faith, we're not to forget that the Holy Spirit wants to, to comfort us and to work in us. Look at verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. So, so the Lord their God is in their midst, and he's victorious, and he's wanting to rejoice over them and, and, and renew them. And, and again, he is in their midst. He's in our midst. And, and the Lord is described as a victorious warrior. Literally, a warrior who saves. The word in the Hebrew for victorious means the salvation that only comes from God. The salvation that only comes from God, that's victorious. Isaiah 63, God says, It's I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. We looked at exalt just a few minutes ago in, chat, in verse 14 when, when the people exalt. But here in verse 17, the Lord is exalting over his people with joy. He is jumping for joy over his people. He's jumping for joy over us. He, he bestows value. I mean, think about it. The, the creator of all of this, the universe, time... has a personal interest in you and me. The value. Psalm 8 says that we've been crowned a little lower than angels. Mm. Mm. The Hebrew text for be, to be quiet in, as we just read, that, that also means to renew in. And, and these, are, these are character traits and affirmations about God. We see a picture of, of God as the Savior of His people. We're able to look ahead to the New Testament and to, and to see that Jesus, the cross of Jesus, we're seeing that's how the victory of God is played out. He's mighty to save us through the cross of Jesus with a salvation that only comes from God. We're to make much of God in worship. Why? Because he has made and he makes much of us. We are valued and we are loved. Don't forget, if you only remember that one thing this morning, you are valued and loved by God. He has absolute joy in us. He rejoices over us. We're the bride of Christ. If we've trusted in what Jesus has done, we are his bride and we are consecrated, we are made clean, and he rejoices over us with a shout. Hurrah! He's in us. He's in our midst. He's renewing us with his spirit. And that's the right now. And he will renew us. And, and he will make us new. And he will make us complete in eternity when we are in his presence, the not yet. So he's in our presence now, but we will be in his presence. Think about that. 
We've talked about worship and, and faith. Let's talk about hope. We're to remember our eternal hope because of what the Lord will do in his time. Verse 18, I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. The Lord says he will gather up his children and, who grieve over sin and shame, the shame of sin and separation there. In the Hebrew, that means he, he's going to gather, he's going to assemble why are these folks grieving? They're grieving about appointed feasts being profane. So what's, what's an appointed feast? Well, these are assemblies that, that are convened for a definite purpose. These are specific appointed times, usually for sacred feasts or festivals, and this is what's happening. Ezekiel chapter 9 says this, The Lord said, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in the midst. So what do we sigh and groan about? What are some of the abominations being committed in our midst now? The Lord says that those who grieve, that they came, from, they came from Him. And their separation, their exile is a burden. It's a reproach. It's a shame to be separated from God. And again, do you ever think that, are you ever reminded to realize that this is not our final destination? This is only where this is only for a time. God designed us to have fellowship with him. This, we are in exile now. And, and that's, that's, what's, that's what's being said here. And, and we're, to, we're to not lose heart over the sins and the sorrows of this world. Why? This is a promise. This is an assurance from God. God will receive and recover his children who are disappointed and broken for the sins of society. As we were from God... We should have a longing for him and not for this world. We were never designed to be complete here. That was never his plan. We're, con we're to continue to trust in the word of the Lord and his divine guidance. Two more verses. Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame, gather the outcast, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I will bring you in. Even at that time when I gather you together, indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And this is good news. The Lord, at his appointed time, he's going to both deal with sin and he will complete salvation for his children. Those two things. He will signify these events by turning our condemnation to praise and renown over his entire dominion. And he will restore their fortunes. What does that mean? What does that mean? Restore that for, restore fortunes. Well, he, he, he will recompense, he will recover, he'll refresh, he'll reestablish, he'll bring back this idea of fortune. And, and Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 14 says it like this. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from the nations and all the places where I've driven you, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Restoring the fortunes, this has to deal with, with exile. Prisoners, a former state of prosperity. The chief use was in declaring the liberating power of the Lord in releasing his people from banishment. It's important to note this. This idea, this concept of fortune restoration has nothing to do with financial prosperity or stability. According to the Hebrew text, it's an undoing of exile. And this is an identifying mark of belonging to the Lord. And the whole earth's going to see it. Our fortunes are restored when we are with the Lord in glory. The Israelites, they're returned from their eventual exile in Babylon. And just like that, the bride of Christ, we the bride of Christ, we're going to be released from this life and we'll be restored to the presence of God. The church will be at last be released from exile. Through Christ, we've been, we've been released from the banishment of sin and at the second coming, we'll be released from the exile, from the presence of God in all flesh. We'll see it together. This is a promise. Verses 16 through 20, it's signed off with these words. Says the Lord. This morning we come to a time of response. To what Zephaniah has shared regarding not only Israel the daughter of Zion, but to us, the bride of Christ. If you want to come on up, that'd be fine. He's talking to the bride of Christ today, the church to come. And as we expectantly wait on the return of Jesus and his fulfilling work at the end of time, as he comes to claim his bride, we've been told three things about worship and faith and hope, ways that we're to wait on the work of the Lord. We've been told to rejoice completely in worship because what the Lord has already done in our midst by worshiping Him with every fiber of our being because He's already defeated the enemy by going to the cross. And he's taken care of, care of sin once and for all. We've been commanded to remain steadfast in faith because of what the Lord Jesus can do right now in our lives. And, and we're not to allow worry to become weakness. And we're not to forget that the Holy Spirit wants to comfort us and to work in us. We're to remember our eternal hope because of what the Lord will do in His time. We're to not lose heart we're to not lose heart of the sins and the sorrows of this world. And we're to continue to trust in the word of God and his divine guidance. And, and this morning, each one of us here has some level of response with at least one of those three areas. Worship, faith, or hope. 
perhaps growing disappointment. Maybe that's taking your focus off the things of the Lord. I had to question that when I, when I read through this scripture. Your trust in him is shaken. And you've allowed a sinful attitude to creep in and to infect your worship of him. Perhaps you've become filled with anxiety over the things of life. Maybe you're allowing fear instead of the Holy Spirit to control your life to where you're powerless to function throughout the day. Perhaps you've become so sick of the downward spiral of our society that you've lost heart. You've forgotten to seek the face of the Lord on behalf of your community and nation. Maybe you have a lack of joy in your life because you've forgotten who is ultimately victorious. Perhaps you don't have peace at all and you deal with guilt. You deal with sin. Let's stand together right now. Bow your head, please. Lord, perhaps with all of these things, we've never allowed Jesus to come into heart and life. And by going to the cross for us, we, we know that, Jesus, you've taken our sin and our guilt. And, if, and Father, for those in this room that have never confessed you as Savior, this morning I pray that they would do that today. I am so thankful for the salvation that you've offered us through the cross. And Lord, for, for lives here who have never received the good news of the Lord, Father, this morning I pray for their hearts to be opened, to get things right with you, so that they will have the peace of your Holy Spirit in their very midst. The altar's open this morning. You're, gonna, you're just going to continue to stand. You're going to sing. And, and Daniel will be here. I'll be here if you need to come and, and, and share something with one of us. Let's sing together.